Welcome to episode 85 of Cowboys Ride for Free, the podcast. My name is Joel Penfield, and as always, I'm joined by Philip Slave. And how are you doing today? Dude, it has been a busy Sunday. I am working my butt off across two websites, uh, writing a lot. It's a big day. You know, bowl announcement day is a, is a big day. It is. It's a lot of fun for a lot of different schools. And hey, Oklahoma State's going bowling. You got the Liberty Bowl against Missouri. That's going to be a fun matchup. New Year's Eve in Memphis. Uh, I know you're going. I know you're, you've been excited about that for a while with the prospect of it. But now that it's here, I'm sure you're even more excited now. This is the game. All year I said this is a year OSU is going to be down. They're not going to win 10 games. If ever there was a weird year OSU would go to the Liberty Bowl. I know people are like, it's the Liberty Bowl. Who cares? I live in the middle of Arkansas. I am two hours from Memphis. It is a Closer drive to Memphis than it is to Stillwater. So for me, a short drive over to Still to uh, to Memphis to go watch OSU in a bowl game against an SEC team, that was my Christmas wish. Santa uh, Santa heard my my call. He read my letter, and, and I have it now. If they can just go beat Missouri, um, the year will be will be complete. Yeah, that's going to be a really fun game. We'll have a lot more on that uh, coming here in a little bit. But hey, breaking news on the podcast right now. Uh, Oklahoma State landed four-star 2020 point guard Devontae Davis uh, to bring in another four-star recruit for Oklahoma State basketball. Shout-out Mike Boynton, man. He's doing some good stuff. Yeah, that is that's, that's really good news. Hey, uh, great radio. We were able to break that on here right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm supposed to be writing a post, but I'm on here, so I'm just going to tell Micah you're going to have to wrap that up because – I'm recording. <laughs> yeah, that's. Joel. But how? There's good radio how, for you. Um, oh, that's awesome. That that's not coming out either. That that's staying on. <laughs> top ranked player in the state of Arkansas, um, four star point guard out of Arkansas. It's a good get. And if you look at Oklahoma State now, the point guard position, you have likely, who was a steal as a three star. He's not. I mean, he he has some turnover issues, but he's a true freshman. I'm excited to see his development. And he was a late add for that, that 2018 class. You've got Avery Anderson coming in, who's a point guard. And now you have the top-rated point guard out of, out of Arkansas. So you are set at point guard for a while. And so yeah. when Mike Cunningham leaves, I mean, you're going to – I just – Boynton is recruiting like a madman, and he is doing a great, great job. He really is. And you just stole that kid from University of Arkansas, uh, who's who, – who is a good basketball squad. You got him from Auburn, Florida, Oregon, some of the other schools that had offered him to steal. It's a really good get, and to get him this early is awesome. It's a nice first piece to have for your 2020 class that you can continue to build on from there. Man, and you got him. You got the you know the four four-stars coming in 2019. You got another four-star coming in 2020 with, I'd imagine, at least you know two or three more coming in in 2020. He's building a great couple classes in his first couple years. It's once again, it is very obvious he is able to recruit to Stillwater, and that's important in a huge basketball conference. Uh, I love this move. I think this is going to be great. Um, it was exciting. I saw the hourglass emoji he tweeted a couple hours ago, and I was like, oh, where is this going to go now? But, you know, you got to love those cryptic uh, coach tweets that we got whenever recruitment lands. Yeah, and that, that 2020 class is going to be a big class because think of it this way uh, McGriff will be done, Waters will be done, Dizzy will be done. Curtis will be done. And that's four guys that whose whose eligibility will be exhausted. And those are four big contributors. I mean, I know Curtis Jones hasn't played a game yet, but in theory, he's going to be a contributor. So that's four guys you're, uh, and four spots you're going to have to fill. 
So there will be at least, I'd say at least two more players in that class, if not three. So it's a very big and important class for Boynton. 2019 has been a great class. I'm really excited to see what he does with 2020. And this is a great first step. Yes, absolutely. I mean, let's talk a little bit about the uh, briefly about the game against Minnesota on Friday. First of all, that camera angle for that whole game was just horrendous. I, I it made it hard to watch. But Oklahoma State lost. I, I said they lose by about five to ten. I think they lost by six. Um, it, it was a game that just never. I like the way Oklahoma State battled. Twelve zero run there in the final five minutes, kind of get it back pretty close, but just weren't able to finish the deal. But I like the way they battled against a good Minnesota team that was hitting shots. But when you get out rebounded and just bullied on the boards like they did at times, and miss twelve free throws in a game when you lose by under ten points, you're not going to win many ball games, and I don't care who you're playing. But I think this game, there's a lot to take away from it positively from what we saw. Obviously, losing sucks, but I don't feel too bad walking away with a loss there. I mean, you do when you realize turnovers continue to plague this team. Um, I've right. got a post coming up on Monday uh, called The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. And, and the two things that OSU has been bad at this year cost them the game. Uh, turnovers have been really bad, and free throw percentage is not good. It's not. You missed 12 free throws in a game. I think they actually lost by seven. That You lost by seven. That's unacceptable. It's absolutely unacceptable. Now, I do like this team. And it's it's weird to have a team that is so good shooting the three and that shoots the ball well to be so awful from the free throw line. Now, part of that is uh, Maurice Kalou is not very good from the free throw line. He's just Or he's three, just for that matter. Um, your and I is not very good from the free throw line. And those are two of your guys who are playing – two of your bigs who are playing around the basket who are going to get fouled often. And if you're an opposing team and you you look at those stats, that's a problem for big for Oklahoma State because now they become liabilities late in the game when the opposing team wants to get back into it. They want to foul somebody. If if you and I or Maurice Kalu are in the game, they're going to go after them. They're going to go try and foul them, send them to the line, knowing that they're not going to be able to hit free throws. That's something this team is going to have to work on. Now, I'm sure Boynton's got them – in practice, chucking up free throws till they puke, just to try and get them better at it. But it, it's gonna have to, it's gonna have to be an area they focus on. Now that said, in the Minnesota game, Jordan Murphy was exactly what we said he was going to be, and absolutely what we feared he would be. He was a double double machine coming in, and it's exactly what it did to OSU. He almost had a double double at halftime. Yeah, it's yeah he he was as good as advertised uh, he did have end up having a pretty significant double double in that game uh, cam McGriff got in foul trouble early and that didn't really help uh, but overall you know i thought lindy waters i think he had 18 20 points so i like him and you know the aggressiveness that he's played with the last couple games he needs to be a go to guy for this team and he looked confident shooting from 3 i think he made his first four shots from there uh, Dezagua was kind of streaky, but he hit a couple shots. Michael Weathers' ability to get to the rim is still impressive. I'd like to see him stop forcing it a little bit, you know, and dish out a little bit to the corner because the more he continues to get to the rim and score, the defense is going to start collapsing. He's going to get easy assists. But I like his aggressiveness and what I'm seeing from him right now. He is as good as advertised as well. So the pieces are there for this team. Now it's just got to come together and just the little things in the game. And I think this team will be just fine. There's a big couple big tests coming this week. Road game at Tulsa. That's a winnable game. And then a huge test at home against Houston. First game in about almost three weeks in GIA. So you know the crowd's going to be ready for it. We have a lot more coming on that later this week. But 
there, there's a lot to like about this team right now to go along with some things that they definitely need to work on. Yeah, that Tulsa game is a sneaky game. Uh, they sh- I think Oklahoma State should win that game. I think Tulsa's good but not great. I think Oklahoma State absolutely should win that game at Tulsa on Wednesday. That Houston game is huge. It really is. I will say this, and I, I forget the stat exactly, but uh, Mark Cooper had it about plus minus in regards to Cam McGriff on and off the floor. And, and all I'll say is this. Cam McGriff is so important to this team this year. And I don't I don't just mean filling a, a role or a spot. He has been so good this year. Cam McGriff has been absolutely fantastic for this team. And when he is off the floor, it is absolutely noticeable with the guys who are behind him in the roster. And that's just because of youth. It's, it's not a lack of maybe of talent, but youth is there. The inexperience is there. Cam McGriff is incredibly important to this team. And when he gets in foul trouble, OSU is going to get into trouble. Yep, that's going to be a huge thing to look at moving forward. And hopefully he can stay out of foul trouble. And, you know, it was it, there's not a lot you can do when, you know, you got Jordan Murphy there. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it was a big test for this team. And I like Boynton going out and playing these games, either on the road or neutral site. But, you know, it's a good thing moving forward. Yeah, now, I found it. Hold on, I found it. OSU was plus 11 in the 29 minutes with McGriff on the floor. They were minus 18 in the 11 minutes without him. Now, part of that was because Jordan Murphy and that matchup, McGriff was so important because Jordan Murphy's so good. But when you get into the Big 12 and have talented bigs and guys who can play inside that, that McGriff has to defend and has to play against, if McGriff gets into foul trouble, OSU just doesn't have other guys to back him up who are ready to go. And that's where I think OSU is going to get into trouble this year. Yep, I, I agree. But, you know, we got a couple, like I said, a couple big tests this week, and we'll have more on that later. Uh, but now we've got an interview. We have a great interview with Adam Lunt from the Tape Doesn't Lie podcast, one of the smartest football minds you have when it comes to Oklahoma State. Uh, he's going to come on and talk a little bit about kind of a season review of what we saw from the football team this year. So we'll have that for you right now. Well, Adam, man, first off, thanks for joining the show. I feel like we talk about you all the time, like you're our third host, but don't actually aren't actually on the show. Uh, so it's nice to actually get you on here for real. Yeah, no, absolutely. I appreciate it. And and I'm excited to, to be on. I listen to your guys' podcast quite often, so you guys do a great job. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, absolutely. You and you and Mitch do an awesome job breaking down film, and you guys are some of the smartest football people I've gotten to listen to, and especially talking about Oklahoma State football. And, you know, your breakdowns are, you know, it's really informative for me. It gives us some good talking points on here as well. So we really yeah. appreciate you actually coming on, making us smarter football guys. Yeah, well, that's, that's the point of it is that, you know, try to kind of hit a, another market that may have never been tapped before. So, um, so I'm glad you guys find some use out of it. So, yeah. all right, enough circle jerk. Let's actually get to talking football. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to, I want to say this. Let's, before we get into Phil, this, if you weren't mine, up, you're actually in a closet. No, yeah, I literally am in my master closet for those who haven't listened to the show before. <laughs> and I've heard, have not heard this. I record from my master closet because it gives me the best sound quality. Um, I sit on some bath rugs with some pillows. It's really sad, and sitting cross-legged for half an hour isn't the most comfortable, but, you know, it's all for you guys. It really is. Um, well, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm overly impressed with it, so I'm glad you. I could see it in person, or, or over <laughs> over Skype. So, um, Before we get to the season wrap-up, let's start with the bowl game, OSU playing uh, Missouri in the Liberty Bowl on New Year's Eve. I'm personally very excited because I'm going to go – Adam, what was uh, what was your reaction to the to the bowl announcement and the matchup? 
Well, I think it's a fun matchup with, um, <clears throat> you know, Missouri because I, I actually kind of feel like it's the um, the opposite. I'm trying to think of another bowl game I can compare it to. It's not coming to me just right now, but I, I feel like this is a, a much better matchup for Oklahoma State than Missouri. Like, if I was a Missouri fan, I wouldn't be excited just because they had a pretty good season. I think they're 8-4, and four, or they're at least ranked in the top 25. Um, you know, got a uh, NFL quarterback um, who – uh, you know, I'm uh, up and down on, but more or less, uh, probably one of the better quarterbacks we'll see, um, you know, from uh, from Drew Locke. So, you know, I mean, it's, it should be an exciting game. I mean, in my opinion, like my, everything's a little bit um, like m- m- not overly excited if it's like, let's say, less than the Alamo Bowl. They're all kind of like mushed in together. There's like 20 bowl games for me that don't really matter. Um, but, you know, I think it's a cool matchup. I mean, I think it should be a fun game. I think. Um, OSU fans should be excited about the opportunity to um, to face Missouri after you know an up and down season. So, absolutely. So going back to Drew Locke for a second, you know we have the young secondary guys like Colby Peel, Jarek Bernard, Malcolm Rodriguez, AJ Green, Rodarius Williams, the whole like, and they've had pretty kind of up and down with the defense as well, but just young. How do you expect them to match up with a senior quarterback and a guy that can sling it a little bit, especially downfield and Drew Locke? Well, he's got serious t- arm talent. I mean. I'm talking like if anyone's seen Josh Allen play for the Bills this year, like his level of arm talent. Now he's he's very polarizing in terms of his decision making and a lot of the other things that makes QBs good at, at what they do. So he's not all there. I mean, I th- I think he could easily be second or third round pick. Um, so before we anoint him like this incredible quarterback, I don't necessarily know if he's to that level. But you know, certainly a good test for those guys. Um, you know, especially with the propensity uh, over the last four or five games from the coaching staff to to really put the game in their hands i mean put them out on an island and especially bernard <laughs> and especially rodriguez at the safeties and then both corners uh, and then also too the young corners too mcallister's been out there so i mean it's going to be a really challenging um you know matchup from those guys and uh, something tells me they may you know maybe they try to get them some help i'm not sure uh, but drew lock can certainly stretch the field down you know vertically um, has a has a monster arm, so it'll it'll be a challenge for the secondary for sure. I'm glad we're talking about the defense because I want to I want to touch on them for a second. This season overall, I, you know, from just looking at stats, it doesn't feel like Oklahoma State had a good season defensively, and I wouldn't say they had a a good one or a great one, but I'm not sure that the stats tell the whole story, and I don't think it's as bad as it looks. Um, I, I think at the beginning of the season, while they were still figuring out Jim Knowles' system, you know, in, in year one. They gave up a lot. They gave a lot of yards, a lot of points. They, they, they weren't great. But especially after the bye week, it really felt like OSU's defense did what it needed to do and and really stepped up in spots where they needed to to help win the games over Texas and West Virginia. But, and I still think OSU's defense did enough to beat TCU. It was the offense that let them down. Adam, what is your opinion on the defense and the growth we saw from week one to week 12 from OSU? Well, I think you have to take the results, um, you know, with with somewhat of a, a perspective, I guess, um, in the sense that it's such a significant like shift in strategy. I mean, you're talking about a a team that for many many years founded themselves on playing defense with basically keeping everyone in front of you, and um, you know, basically playing off coverage and then strategic pressure to to 
you know, to, to apply pressure to the quarterback and stop the run and all that. But it was really more in spots and, and more of a situation where you don't let people get over the top. And then coming into this season with this scheme, I mean, it's like night and day. It's like it's like playing a Georgia Tech right now <laughs> and being a quarterback, um, you know, and, and seeing more than four passing plays. And you're like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And, and I mean, it's maybe not that bad, but it's it's similar to that type of uh, scheme shift and, and not just scheme like technique and and all these defensive backs like what they have to do on a daily basis in terms of the type of coverage they provide I mean it's 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 really really different so I think that the fact that we did see some progression from like let's say game four five six to game you know 10 11 12 um, I think that's reason to be excited about it I mean Philip you're absolutely right the numbers are not good Um but I, I think especially with the, the young defensive backs and the fact that you can go back and look at strategic stats that tell you that they've played well, um, I, I think, you know, there's there's reason to be excited. I think that year three in the, the Jim Knowles scheme will be interesting. Um, I think that's where I hope that things would align properly. And I honestly think that it could take a full two years for like a complete install uh, as well. So, uh, but in terms of like from the start to the finish, I mean, I, th- I think if you get deep into it, there's certainly progression there um, that, that maybe you can't see in the box score. So, yeah, I'd say I'm really, I'm probably one of the people who is more interested in the defense next going into next season and the offense, just because you're returning most of the secondary, which I think if you really watched every game made more progress on the defense than anybody else did. Now, part of that, you know, the defensive line, you know, losing Darian Daniels, that was a huge impact. But just watching the progress of, especially those true freshmen who were back there, you know, Colby Peel, watching them from week one to the end of the season and watching the progress they made and the development they made it and how good they looked by the end of the year, you would expect a, a good step forward their sophomore season plus you're bringing AJ Green back you're going to bring Rodarius Williams back you're going to get uh, Kima Sivaran's going to have been in the program for a second year I'm just I'm really excited for what the OSU secondary can do next year and I actually think it's going to be one of the strengths for the team yeah no I'm I'm, I'm with you Philip. I think the defensive line is certainly going to take a step back um, but I think you know if you look at about where where you need really strong players in this defense. I'd rather have it in the secondary than in a defensive line. So I think that's, um, you know, you'd love to have good defensive linemen, but, uh, but I think there may be a year or two, uh, you know, uh, to get those guys right because there was some recruiting misses in the last few years where it's putting you in a bind now. Um, but again, I think, you know, the fact of the, the, the amount of pressure and the amount of um, aggressive nature with the coverages and whatnot um, you feel better having guys that you feel confident in the secondary versus vice versa. So I'm, I'm totally with you. Yeah. All right. I want to kind of move to the offense for a second. So we saw two pretty impressive performances back, put back to back between OU and then West Virginia where Cornelius looked pretty impressive in both this, you know, outside of the two pretty bad interceptions against West Virginia. I thought he played really well in back to back games, but then we go to the TCU game and it just looked like the offensive game plan completely changed. And it was a pretty uninspiring performance for three quarters until they decided to come back. Adam, what did you see that changed from the West Virginia game? and What worked there to what they tried to do against TCU is TCU's defense that good. And they just completely took OSU out of rhythm or was the game plan just that poor? 
I, I mean, there's no way that they're that good. I mean, so I think Gary Patterson's a great coach, like a really underrated coach, um, and and he certainly made things difficult. Um, but I think the weird, the frustrating part about it is, is um, it seemed like a kind of a sleepy performance in general. Um, I was there, and it was it was cold, it was windy. I mean, there are some other factors that may have played a role, but the, none of them to justify what we saw. Um, but I think the it's, it's weird because the West Virginia game, I mean, uh, you just referenced it, how the first half was a little shaky, and then you make some adjustments come out and then just basically crush it in the second half. And it's almost kind of like – and I think that's maybe one of the knocks on the offensive coaching staff is like the lack of – being able to adjust on the fly. Like if you go back and look last two or three years, every four years or whatever, you know, that's one of the things that fans get frustrated with is like they come in with a game plan and if it doesn't work, they just keep rolling with it. And I think there's some merit to that, uh, especially in this game. Like I don't think even in the second half of the TCU game, they didn't really shift things up all that much. They just had a few chunk plays that they got and they were able to run tempo and the tempo is what caught TCU off guard. Um, so the, the, the plays and the type of the style of offense really didn't shift that much from the first play of the game, to the last play of the game, it was just the, the tempo that, that really shifted things into OSU's favor, um, for the last three drives or last three out of the last four drives. Um, so, and to answer your question, I don't know. I have no idea how to answer this. It was a poor game plan. Uh, I didn't necessarily think Cornelius was locked in, although he wasn't the, the full problem. Uh, I think that they came in thinking that they could do something, and TCU basically um, counteracted that with the, the proper game plan, and they made no adjustments to to fix it. And we saw what can happen when that, you know, when there's no adjustments. <laughs> it's ten. What was it the first ten drives were like seven three and outs or something? I don't know the exact numbers, but it, it was, was something like that. Yeah, that it was a pretty frustrating thing to watch, especially with how dynamic their offense can be at times but when the game plan that they come in with doesn't work. It feels like they just kind of beat their head into a wall and just hope that it works. And it's just frustrating as a fan to just sit there and watch, you know, talented players just not play up to that level when the game plan doesn't work. And you hope that, you know, what you can see more of what we saw like what we, against in the West Virginia game where they made a few adjustments and found ways to make the offense click. Well, and the, the funny thing is, is the adjustments in the West Virginia game were like as basic as they come. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so it's not it's not like we're asking, um, you know, a whole lot. It's just, OK, guys, it's not working. Let's <laughs> let's shift back. And they they've shifted back to their base offense. So it's like that stuff that they were comfortable with that they knew and they could run you know, consistently with with a lot of confidence and all that stuff. So um, and you could have easily done some. Thing similar to that with TCU. I mean, they had, uh, they could have gone to more of like a th- uh, 11 personnel and go big and, um, you know, try to go down the field more, um, but try to go, you know, off tackle um, with with six or seven blockers in the box and stuff. I mean, there were adjustments that could have been made and they just didn't. I guess they just saw something that <laughs> try to ram that that square peg in that in that round hole as much for the entire game. I guess was the strategy. So, okay, how much? And I saw this out of the game. It really felt like Oklahoma State missed Justice Hill in that game very, very badly. So what did you see from that standpoint? Was it just that TCU played the run well, or would they have really benefited from having Justice Hill in that TCU game? Well, Justice Hill's a great player, so him not being there against anyone, I think, is is bad for Oklahoma State for sure. Um, but actually, Mitch brought this up on the uh, on the review show that we did where – 
he he basically made the same observation. And my opinion is is Chuba Hubbard's a really good player, um, and he can do a lot of things. Uh, and I I was very disappointed with the way LD Brown played. Um, so I think my answer to that, and it's still my answer, is that you know Justice Hill would have absolutely helped. Of course, he's Justice Hill. He's one of the best players on the team. Um, and against this game where you're you're playing against seven eight man fronts at times, um, you know his ability to make players miss would have helped. But I think the biggest thing was is Justice Hill being out there would have allowed you to just play Justice Hill and Chuba Hubbard and not L.D. Brown. I thought there was a big letdown with L.D. Brown out there. I think he had 10 carries for like two yards or, or nine yards. or I don't know. It was under one yard a carry. And that's um, it's not all on his fault. Um, there was some plays that were block, blocked poorly and things like that. But um, I think the drop-off between Hubbard and Brown was significant enough to where if Hill was there, Hill and Hubbard would have been in and you would have saw a better, you know, that's a better duo than, than Hubbard and, um, and Brown. So yeah, absolutely. I don't necessarily know if it would have been the difference. Um, you know, when the blocking or, or when, you know, you're facing, um, fronts that have a one or two man advantage, you know, unless you're toting Barry Sanders out there, sometimes it's hard. <laughs> so, yeah. um, it also really felt like JD King was missing in that game. He would have been able to do a better job. Than L.D. Brown, you know, it, it was one thing having Chuba and J.D. King. It's another thing to have Chuba and, and L.D. Brown. And I, it's nothing against L.D. Brown, but at a certain point, there's a reason he's the fourth string back and not higher on the on the depth chart. You you also mentioned offensive line, and, and that was just, man, that just felt like an, an issue all season, which was so weird because Gundy felt so confident coming into the year. This was going to be their first really good offensive line since since Wickline left, and it might have been the most disappointing. What – I know part of it is they've just missed on guys. You know, they've brought in some guys, they've recruited some guys, and they haven't quite worked out. But what to you was the biggest issue with the offensive line this season? Well, there was there was injuries that didn't help. Um, and I think um, the fact that, um, you know, left tackle was a problem. Uh, I think Arlington Hambright wasn't quite as good as we would have hoped. And then he got hurt. And then, um, you know, we basically had to, so I think at that at one point we had taken um, Tevin Jenkins and slid him over to left tackle and then played Shane Richards at right tackle. And then Shane Richards got hurt. So then you had to slide Tevin Jenkins back to right tackle and play Dylan Galloway. Uh, so, you know, a lot of shifting around. Um, I think where, uh, where it comes down to me is, is, the lack of a left tackle, because Tevin Jenkins and Johnny Wilson are are really good players, and if everyone was as good as them, this would be a fantastic offensive line. Um, Larry Williams had a had a rough season. He wasn't as good as what we saw um, in the first. I think he played like three or four games in both 2016 and 2017. He he, he didn't play up to that level. So he was a, basically right guard the entire season was up and down. And then Marcus Keys has been somewhat of a disappointment as well, where he's been up and down. He's been better than than Williams, but I think just the shuffling around, the injuries, and then the inconsistent play from a few key guys is is why you got the product you did. Um, if there was f- the same five guys out there all season, they would have played better. Would they would have been up to your expectations? Probably not. Um, but I, I think it's a mixture of, of yeah, the shuffling around. And then just just one or two key guys, not necessarily playing up to up to expectations. So, yeah, I guess my next question, kind of sticking with that, like 
what do we see moving forward, at least from from an offensive perspective? Obviously, quarterback will be somewhat of a question mark just because we have two guys that didn't play all season. There's a possibility you get Justice Hill back. You get return most of the offensive line. You know, what do you see moving forward from the offense, at least, you know, you know, better, worse? What? How do you think it goes? <laughs> well, it's a good question because, um, you know, could you even really answer that question game to game this season? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the answer to that is no. Um, so and, and we talked about this, too, is is kind of like looking forward. I mean, I, I think you, when you look at it, you got skill position players across the board that are all underclassmen for the most part. Um, you know, I mean, what Justice Hill does is going to is going to play a big factor to answer your question, Joel. Um, you know, I mean, that could shift things one way or the other a little bit. But let's let's assume that he's out of the picture, which I, I think he should come back. But let's assume that he goes pro. Um, so you've got Hubbard, you've got Brown, you've got Jeter behind him, um, hopefully an incoming freshman and so on. But you feel pretty good about the running back situation. And then uh, virtually everyone comes back at wide receiver position. Um, and then you bring in Grayson Boomer at Cowboy back, and then you bring back Jelani Woods. And virtually your entire starting um, offensive line, with the, in, uh, with the exception of Larry Williams, and just like I mentioned, he was – you know, kind of the the part of the offensive line that that underperformed the entire season. So that's that could not that could be a you know a situation where you actually upgrade by losing someone because there's there's some guys that even some true freshmen that I think may have been able to outperform them. So uh, you know, I think a lot of it just comes down to quarterback play. I mean, um, Cornelius was inconsistent at times this year. Certainly, like to find someone you know next year that. Um, you know, could play a little bit more consistent, but if they could play at his level when he's playing, you know, really well, then that serves Oklahoma state really well. So, uh, you know, certainly a lot of it stems from the quarterback play for sure, but I think everything else is very much in line for, you know, a traditional OSU offensive, um, you know, level in terms of, you know, top 15 caliber, top 20 offense. So. You've been someone who's <laughs> been really excited every time Jelani Woods went anywhere near the ball. Um, it, it was kind of surprising to to see him develop as well as we've seen to this point. What's kind of your takeaway on him, and and what do you think his ceiling is at this point? He's he's really improved, and it's it's kind of happened in the background because I think as as a fan, you just watch the games, and and you know when he catches a pass, you're like, okay, great, you know. And he didn't really get a whole lot of work. I think he ended up with like seven seven catches for two touchdowns or something like that. Not crazy, right? But OSU doesn't really force feed the tight end anyways. Um, so his blocking, I think, increased or improved, you know, significantly. Um, I think everyone knew in coming into this that he may have the ability to stretch the field, you know, as a pass catcher just because of how big he is and he's an athletic player and all that. Um, but the question was, is was he going to totally tank in terms of blocking like uh, and I think the tight end is a weird position because when you can find those guys that can do both that's when it's really a, an asset um, and it's really almost detrimental when they're either a pass catcher or a blocker because it's kind of you're basically showing the defense what you're going to do right like when he's in the game they're going to throw the ball or vice versa so um, I think his effectiveness is going to come off of being a really uh, um, a really good blocker um, because I, I have a lot of faith that he can become a, a consistent pass catcher. And, you know, he's got the size 
and athleticism. I mean, we saw that on a few plays. So um, I'm certainly very excited with him, and I'm very excited about Grayson Boomer coming in too because that gives you the like two legit guys that can stretch the field at the the cowboy back position, which I think will totally open up a lot of options for you know offensive coordinator, different formations, things like that. So, you know, we've talked a bit about Yurcich's game planning. I'm at the point now where I I just don't think he sells himself well in a room and thus may not get a head coaching position anytime in the near future. And so OSU fans kind of just buckle in and, and be ready to, to keep him for a while. Now, I, I like Yurcich, but I to those who don't, this was the perfect season to kind of showcase what his, his weaknesses are. Um, what, where would you grade Yurcich's job as the offensive coordinator this season? Oh man, that's a good one. Um, because I think you can see his talent in in some instances, um, and then you, like you kind of mentioned, you can kind of see some areas where he he you know his his the holes in his game more or less. Um, I'd say maybe like a B minus. Um, you know, first you got to you got to take into consideration first year quarterback now he's a fifth year senior right so you'd have higher expectations for him but still i mean kid didn't start a football game in like five four or five years it was at the high school level um breaking in some new receivers you know who are obviously talented um but i, I think there was a few games like i would highlight like the boise state game as one of his best games now it wasn't in the box score i think they only had like 400 yards and um they had you know, special teams really bailed him out, but they came out with a game plan to basically control the ball and and actually uh, move TC around and 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 ran him quite a bit. So there's there's examples of that, and then obviously the K State game was a was horrible. They got completely outcoached in Texas Tech, and then this TCU game was kind of the culmination of that. Um, so you know the the offense wasn't completely to blame, and 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 you know the the six losses, but at least three of them I would say played a significant role in losing the game um so yeah b b minus maybe i mean uh definitely one of his uh, i don't want to say he's been here i think six years so maybe his third or f- maybe his fourth best season i don't know uh, it's hard to grade because the personnel changes a lot so but that, that's be the way i would grade that i guess yeah that's fair that's fair yeah, I agree. Okay, so last question we'll ask you, and we'll get you out of here. Who were your offensive and defensive MVPs for this season? Oh, man. <laughs> um, oh, that's a tough one. Jelani Woods um, and A.J. Green. <laughs> no, Tevin Jenkins. Yeah, Tevin hey. Jenkins is my guy. Oh, man. So it's really hard because – so you guys know I like A.J. Green. Yeah. But AJ Green, AJ Green really didn't turn it on until like the back half of the season, and like so for example, like Justin Phillips was a pretty big beat. Justin Phillips was a beast the entire season. Um, he he was just steady as a rock. And then Malcolm Rodriguez was awesome in the back half of the season, but he was injured. I, I think he missed maybe one or two games, and um, he didn't see he didn't necessarily play as to that level for the entire season. Um, and then Bundage was crazy good for like the first four games and then kind of all over the place in the back eight. So uh, I would probably say I'll go with, with Justin Phillips for defense 
which I really want to say AJ Green because he's been awesome, but he didn't do it the whole year, so I'll give him the longevity. And then man, offense is tough too, because so I love Tylen Wallace, but and this is a question to you guys: Have you noticed he he has a lot of drops? I don't know if you guys have noticed yeah. that. The, the, yeah. I, oh yeah. So that bothers me a little bit, but he's got to be the MVP. I mean, he's got he's in the line for Blinnikoff. He made some huge catches. I think he's leading the country in contested catches. Um, the dude's a total stud, but he has his times where they kind of kind of turn me off a little bit. I mean, I, I'll, I'll maybe I'll have some time, you know, during the offseason to go back and look. But I bet you he probably had over ten drops, which is not um, for how many targets he had. I, I don't know. I don't know what the, the drop rate is and stuff like that. But that always kind of bothered me with him. And uh, and you know, I, I hate that Justice Hill is not in the discussion because. He was really good when he got the ball, but you know the injuries and whatnot really, um, really tanked his his candidacy in this. So, so I'd go Wallace and and Justin Phillips, which I don't necessarily know that's going to surprise. That's not going to surprise any of the podcast <laughs> listeners, I don't think. No, uh, I guess I guess an interesting thing on Wallace, I feel like of his drops, I feel like probably I guess sixty seventy percent of them he was pretty open, and it just yeah. hit him in the hands. Of, but if you put him right up on with someone right in his grill, he makes the catch, which is just a bizarre thing. But yeah, he know. makes the crazy contested catches, but sometimes he makes the, the really simple ones look really difficult, which, uh, you know, he's, he's a new player too. So it's, you got to kind of work through that sometimes with new players, which is totally understandable. And I don't want to be negative with him at all. No, he had an amazing, amazing season, but that always kind of irked me a little bit where it's like, you know, wide open catches and he'd drop it. Um, but, uh, anyways, I, I, Cornelius certainly played well enough to be in the discussion if it wasn't for maybe like two games and he would be in the discussion for me, which may piss some people off, but I'm okay with that. So for, for, for every bad game he had, he had some, man, he played so much better down the stretch at the end of the season. I no doubt. I, I don't know what happened. I know TCU game was bad in the Baylor game. They don't make any sense, but it wasn't just him, and it was the offense as a whole and the game plan. So it's hard to just – I know it's easy to just throw everything. It's, it's Taylor Cornelius' fault. Well, yeah, but the game plan was bad. He wasn't good. The offensive line wasn't great. And when you mix all that together, it's hard to just be, well, one guy. I mean, TC well, I think a, I think TC a perfect... showed when he played well. Like That was where – when Gundy all said before the season, like, this guy can win us games. He's the best option. When you saw Cornelius play well, like against West Virginia and against OU and against, you know, or the first half against Texas, like you saw what Gundy was talking about. And it was just so frustrating that you, you, you saw that. And it took so long to, A, for the offensive game plan to actually be built around what he did well, which was more frustrating than anything all season because they'd throw 14 deep passes even though he couldn't complete them. But just just to see how well he could play and then to watch him not be able to do that on a consistent basis was just frustrating. Well, I, what I would say about Cornelius is, is it's human nature, I feel like. You have a former walk-on, and you've got an All-American Texas High School Player of the Year sitting on the bench, right? So I think it's, it's, on, it's embedded in all of us to give this guy the shortest leash pos- possible because... W- we all want to play the stud. <laughs> and I think the problem is, is you're losing context there of like, who's actually the best quarterback to play right now. And, you know, the, the walk-on can turn into a stud, you know, and, and can potentially be better than the high school stud um, when he's a true freshman. So I, I think he had a short leash and people just wanted to see 
um, what else was out there. Like they had a, the thing that really resonated with me was the Iowa State game, where he had five total touchdowns against the number one defense in the league, and he got sacked seven times, and six of them weren't his fault. I literally counted. I timed with my time watch, which is kind of embarrassing. Um, and so you're talking five touchdowns against the number one defense in the league. Remember what Will Greer did against Iowa State? No, he threw for 100 yards. 150 yards, and they had like under 200 total yards or something like that. So that's how good Iowa State is defensively. Cornelius put up five touchdowns on these guys, and people and, – and, you know, OSU lost the game, which at that point looked like it was a bad loss, which it turns out it really wasn't. But – people were literally calling for his head after that game. And I knew then I was like, okay, people just don't want this guy in. Um, and there's a lot of other things that have happened since then that maybe have justified him not playing. Um, but I, it, things kind of resonated for me then. It's just like, I feel like people just with him being a walk on Spencer Sanders sitting on the bench, people just want Spencer Sanders to play regardless, I think is the, is the answer. So, yeah. All right. Well, I think that wraps this up. Adam, thank you so much for coming on. This was a great conversation, really good insight. Uh, oh, any listeners that haven't listened to the Tape Doesn't Lie podcast that he and Mitch Gift do, you're doing yourself a disservice. It's great football conversation. It's intelligent, and it's really, really well done. Keep up the good work, Adam, and I hope you're gonna, you guys are going to do some stuff in the offseason as well. Yeah, we'll throw some stuff together. Hopefully we'll get bored eventually <laughs> and, and want to dig into some crazy – statistical project or something i i don't i don't know what to tell you in terms of timing of that but it'll definitely happen so and i i appreciate your guys' time and thanks for having me on so absolutely man thanks for uh, thanks for spending the time with us i appreciate it all right take care guys take care that was a really good conversation that was awesome yeah, i do appreciate him coming on his show is really good and he made some really good points there um and, and i i also have been one who's i mean yeah it's really easy to get emotional and frustrated with with cornelius this season um, he hasn't been, he's not Mason Rudolph. And he, again, you go back to after three years of Mason Rudolph, you get Taylor Cornelius, man, you're not gonna, you just, there's, unless you're better, you're, there's no way to live up to that. You know, he, he, I, he was bad in some games, but he was really good in some games. And the first half of the season, I don't feel like they, they, they built the offense to really service him well. You had issues with the offensive line. The defense was still learning, trying to figure out Jim Knowles' system. This just, I don't know that you could have put Spencer Sanders in and he would have immediately been better. Like, I just don't. Because there is, I know he hadn't played in a game for a long time, but there is something to knowing the system. Um, and there's value in that over just maybe being a more talented guy. I'm, I'm glad they stuck with him. I know the TCU game was awful. I'm really excited to see what he gets to do in his final game at OSU. And, and you know, I hope for his sake that they that they win. Because I think, I mean, it's just the seniors this year, and Cornelius especially, like you just want to see them go out on a high note. You want to see Cornelius have a great moment. And in, in the season on a high note, you like to not you like to avoid Gundy's, you know, first losing season since 05. But, man, you just, it'd be a really tough offseason if you finish 2018 with the performance they had against TCU and then a bowl loss to Missouri like it's just it would be that'd be a rough way to end end the year 
Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there's so many factors that have gone into the season. It's been injuries. It's been inconsistent play. It's been poor game planning. It's been so many different things that have gone on this season. You can't just pin it on one guy. You just, you just can't, especially on the field. Uh, but I'm, I'm hoping to God that we get a bowl win. I think it'd be great for Cornelius. I think it'd be great for the team. Uh, you know, give us a little bit of momentum going into 2019, even though there is a lot of uncertainty there. At least if you go in with another winning season, you get another bowl win, that, that'll that be great moving forward. Um, this is going to be an interesting offseason. It's going to be an interesting next few weeks leading up to the bowl game. We've got a lot to talk about there. It's going to be a fun game to watch. Uh, when I, the first thing they said when they pre when they introduced the game on the ESPN Bowl Mania thing was that the the scoreboard operators better be ready because they might run out of lights and you know make sure the light bulbs are all good on the board because man it's gonna be it's gonna be an interesting game that's for sure yeah and I, I don't care what I, I don't care what anyone says whatever the over is just take it yeah uh, I'm excited to watch it I am uh, it'll be a, it'll be an interesting game it will. Yep, I'm going to try and get off work a little bit early that day so that I can get back and hit catch kickoff. Yep. All right, I th- yep, I think that wraps this one up. Philip, where can everyone follow you on Twitter? Follow me personally at OKTXARPOKE. It's Oklahoma, Texas, Arkansas. Um, I'll bring you all sorts of OSU goodness as well as other Big 12 news throughout the week. Don't forget to follow my show, the 1012 Podcast. It's at the number 10, the number 12, the word podcast on Twitter. It's on SoundCloud and iTunes. This week's episode is going to be a lot of fun. We're just doing a massive five-person roundtable to wrap up the season and preview the bowl season. It's going to be a, it's it's going to be fun. All right, you can follow me at JT Penfield. Also follow my other show if you like baseball, uh, Kansas City Royals baseball, specifically at Royals Farm Podcast. It's a lot of fun. Uh, sometimes you'll you'll uh, catch me who edits the podcast uh, forget to edit out an F bomb that I dropped. So uh, that that made for a little bit of a fun uh, surprise on SoundCloud. Um, uh, but you can follow the main site here at Cowboys RFF and uh, stay locked on the site. We'll have a lot of the, you know, leading up to the bowl coverage. We've got two big basketball games this week. We got the recruit uh, story that just dropped. There's a lot of good stuff at the site, so stay locked on it, and we'll see everyone next episode.